0: Hi everyone, welcome back for another episode of EGEOs. My name is Rochelle Kernan, and today I have a very special guest. Her name is Brandy Robinson. She is an assistant teaching professor at Penn State's Energy and Mineral Engineering Department. Hi Brandy, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm good, how are you? Good, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really glad um, that you were able to be here thank you for having me. So just to give our audience a little bit of a background, I met uh, Brandy over actually online uh, school. So I have enrolled in a renewable energy professional master's and she is or was my professor for my energy policy course. So I'm really glad that she agreed to speak with me today. And if you are at all interested in this sort of thing, please look her up. She's a great teacher and I had a really great experience for her classes. So to start out today, could you please give us a little bit about you, a little bit of your background? Could you tell us um, maybe something about where you're from, where you grew up, and maybe something that have has influenced you to take this career path?
1: Sure, so I grew up in a town um, in central Pennsylvania called Williamsport. Mm-hmm. Williamsport was once the logging capital of the world, but more recently it's been known for, um, it's home to the little league world series every summer. So that's mm-hmm. kind of fun. And, um, more recently it's been part of the Marcellus Shale natural gas play. Cool. So that might be where some of your listeners might, um, know Williamsport from. Absolutely.
0: That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. You know, fun fact. Um,
1: the year I graduated high school, they were renovating our football stadium, so we were the only class to ever get to graduate on Lomity Field at the Little League World Series Complex, so that was pretty fun. Yeah.
0: Softest grass you'll ever touch. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of my, my background that has sort of led me into this space, you know, I'm a first generation college student, and mm-hmm. so while I always really... Um, I enjoyed a wide variety of the classes that I took in high school but I didn't I didn't really have a clear sense of what I wanted to do in college I knew Mm -hmm. of course that I wanted to go Mm -hmm. and um, my parents were very supportive of that but but in a in a very tertiary way because it was totally foreign to them you know my 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 dad um, is a real estate agent, and my mom worked in a factory driving a forklift. So mm-hmm. the idea of a four-year institution and what that entailed, they didn't really know. Mm-hmm. So I kind of gravitated toward what I had excelled in in high school, mm-hmm. which was writing and literature. So I entered college as a creative writing major cool. and admittedly had... No idea what I would possibly do with that when I graduated, but it was what I enjoyed and and what I was good at. And so I ran with that. Mm -hmm. But my first semester, I was uh, thrown into two gen ed classes um, that were just placed on my schedule for me initially one was a class called human ecology mm-hmm. and one was a class called earth and people which was a geography class and both of them had a very strong environmental science component to mm-hmm. them and i just i was hooked i felt like i had finally found what what mattered to me and so i immediately changed my major to environmental studies mm-hmm. which was what was available i was at the university of pittsburgh at johnstown at okay. the time mm-hmm. And, um, and I eventually picked up in addition to the environmental studies degree, I've double majored in geography along the way. And, um, and I just, I really, I felt like I had found my calling, but again, at the end of undergrad, I similarly felt like, well, now what? Mm -hmm. I still don't know exactly what I want to be when I grow up. Mm -hmm. And so I decided, well, I really like. Taking classes, I'm going to go to graduate school. And again, my parents were very supportive, but I was really out of their depth now, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they had no idea. And so um I applied to the Penn State Geography Department um kind of on a whim, uh, because it was closer to home. It was important to me to stay to stay close to my family. Mm-hmm. And um it was a highly competitive program, and I think I got in with a little bit of luck, but um, so I did my I did my master's of science in geography there. I finished up in 2005, mm-hmm. and so um, while I was there, I worked on looking at local scale solutions to global problems related to climate change. Mm-hmm. And so that's really been sort of the the unifying thread in the arc of my career since then is is trying to figure out how we can make a difference locally to these problems that when you look at them globally feel very, very daunting.
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, thank you so much for sharing that. It's so inspiring to hear. I have a similar background to you as well. I'm a first generation uh, college student. So I love hearing success stories about how you just you kind of just go for it and follow your instinct and then it it all works out. So thank you so much for for sharing that. I I really, that's that's amazing. So you've kind of alluded to it a little bit. Um, You are currently, would you consider yourself um, in the policy field or could you tell us more about which energy sector you are uh, a part of and maybe something that you really enjoy about your field?
1: Sure. So I like to think that I kind of operate at the intersection of science and policy. Mm-hmm. And frankly, it's an intersection that I think is not busy enough, right? Yeah. we have We have lots of really talented scientists who are who are highly expert and trained in their very specific fields. And then we have people who dedicate their lives to to public service in the in the policy making realm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we don't have enough people who connect those people to each other. Mm-hmm. And we want to make sure that we are doing the best job we can of, of taking the science that we're working really hard on and making sure that it informs the policy that will that will drive the future. And so I kind of feel like I um, am a connector piece mm-hmm. and I try to, I try to operate um, in between those spaces. So maybe a jack of two trades. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So could you tell us more about um, how policy, whether it's um, ideas, changes in policy, the deployment of policy, how it could actually impact scientific research? And yeah. could you or do you have any knowledge about um, how specifically it can affect the energy sector and those uh, scientists who work in the energy sector? Sure. So I think that this is definitely a two-way street,
1: mm-hmm. and so um, we we can certainly point to lots of examples where where innovation in energy research and development, for example, drives policy in a direction. But but that's not enough. We also need policy support to help drive the research. That, that we need. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of a tricky chicken and the egg sort of thing, mm-hmm. you know, to know um, what works best. You know, I think if you look at examples related to, to you know, photovoltaic solar energy, for example, mm-hmm. you know, early, early policy support for you know, subsidies of those things and stuff kind of helped get those things off the ground, but now it's it's taking off without that, and it will drive the energy policy of the future. Mm-hmm. I think from my perspective, what's, what's important to remember, and I think we probably talked about this in class, mm-hmm. is that all energy policy is climate policy. We just have we have the choice whether we want it to be good climate policy or poor climate policy, but Mm -hmm. no matter what we do now, the energy choices that we make dictate the climate future that we have. And so I think that that's something that's really important for us to think about when we're, when we're trying to figure out, do we let R and D steer the ship or do we let policy steer the ship? And I think, I think the answer is it has to be a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's give and take. And that's not, that's not a great answer. It doesn't provide a clear roadmap, but I think that, I think that we need sort of an all of the above approach.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that is a really good thing, I think, for scientists to ponder about. And I guess it also provides somewhat of an explanation where I know I have found personally, like, if you have an idea as a scientist and it's geared towards, um, green energy but maybe it's not mainstream yet it's Mm -hmm. it's hard sometimes to get those ideas off the ground and to get the funding for it but absolutely I find that within you know basically since the pandemic started I would say that now it seems like those greener ideas actually have a lot more traction and they're being recognized and your likelihood of success with um, a research proposal seems to be higher now if you're catering towards, you know, the green side of things. W- would you agree from where you're sitting that that's would, more popular going forward? I would agree. And I think that that's happening for a variety
1: of different reasons that are sort of like, you know, all coalescing at the same time. So um, I think one thing that we've learned from the pandemic, you know, and, and maybe we'll have a chance to talk about this more, mm-hmm. but, um is that you know in in March and April of 2020 the world kind of stopped spinning mm-hmm. you know we all hit pause on a lot of the things that we do travel virtually screeched to a halt mm-hmm. and when we go back and look at the at the emissions for that time you know i i think it dipped 9% mm-hmm. and and so so what that tells me is that is that you and i can't um, conserve our way out of this problem. We need like a fundamental shift in the sources we're using because yeah, I wasn't driving to work every day, but I also wasn't turning my thermostat down when I left for work. Mm-hmm. So our emissions just shifted, right? Yep. They didn't really, they shifted more than they were reduced. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we saw that, okay, you can you can put push pause on so much of the activity for the entire world and it still only makes a dent, and that's a dent that's not nearly enough what what the science tells us we need to, to, you know, contain warming to, like, that one and a half to two degree sweet spot to really avert the more catastrophic impacts down the road, mm-hmm. and so I think that has been eye-opening for people. Mm-hmm. I think that watching the, the sort of, um, cost of adopting some renewable energy technologies absolutely plummet in recent years has made a big difference Mm -hmm. and i think you know things are just slowly picking up electric vehicles you know charging stations are becoming more present so it's a it's helping to alleviate that fear people have you know Mm -hmm. range anxiety with with buying an electric car so i think it's all these little things that are chipping away yeah Mm -hmm. that that will make the difference and i think that's The really important thing, you know, it's, we won't solve the climate crisis with a single magic solution, Mm -hmm. right? It's going to be lots of little things that chip away at parts of the problem. There's no magic, you know, one button that we can hit to make this right. We've got to approach it from a lot of different angles. And so I think we just happen to be living in a time right now where we're making some decent progress on those things at at a variety of, um,
0: At a variety of scales. Absolutely. So from your perspective, do you have any advice uh, for geoscientists and maybe more traditional fields like oil and gas, how they could transition into a cleaner, greener uh, energy future?
1: Yeah. So I I think, you know, we really need their help. Mm -hmm. They're, in many ways, they're going to help lead us into the energy transition to a lower carbon economy um because so in the in the programs that I teach the the one of which the class you were part of is is linked to and the undergraduate program I have a lot of students who are pivoting from a more traditional fossil fuel industry who recognize that they might need to understand um more renewable technologies as they move into the later part of their career mm-hmm and so i think there are there are two things that we need people's help with the first is that i think we all recognize and understand that it's not actually in our best interest to just flip the switch and abandon abandon fossil fuels today yep right mm-hmm. that and and all of your listeners i'm sure know better than i do the reasons that that doesn't make sense but what it does mean is that we need the people who have the expertise in these fields to be helping us manage them as sustainably as we can Mm -hmm. and getting the most efficiency out of those and limiting the environmental impacts and and helping us get ready to transition to to cleaner technologies. Uh, We can't abandon where we've come from just because we now understand the the negative implications of it. We have to, it has to be a transition. Mm -hmm. So that's the first part. And then I think wanting to pivot into into those sectors makes a lot of sense and I think that that their their industry expertise from their years of working in the field will serve them very well and translate pretty pretty easily mm-hmm. into these into these newer sectors. So I think and I think that this is particularly a place where where policy will be very important. I mm-hmm. think it's any any successful transition we make needs to bring the folks from the from the fossil fuel industries along and make sure that they are transitioned into meaningful, well-paying work mm-hmm. in, in a new economy. You know, I come I come from um, a heavily fossil fuel intensive state. Mm-hmm. And I certainly have many friends and family members who have earned a living and take great pride in working in these industries. And they deserve to ensure that they still have the ability to support their families with with meaningful and valuable work, no matter what our energy source specifically is.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that. I, I think there's a lot of fear among petroleum geoscientists, and I hope that th- you saying that puts their mind at ease. So, thank you very much for saying that. I mean, I don't get to run the show, but <laughs> maybe someday but I, you will. I maybe. I would like that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but um I yeah, I think that's important. You know, yeah. we're all in this together, and I think that that's something that we kind of lose sight of sometimes. We're, Absolutely. Yeah. We're kind of all in this together, and the solution will require all of us to to stay on the same team here. So yeah. I think it's important to, to recognize that the people who have been operating in these more traditional industries have a lot of knowledge and expertise that we can use to figure out how to transition to a, a lower carbon economy. Like, it, it just makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So going back um, to what you had said in the beginning of this recording about your background and what you studied for your master's thesis, so the focus on local um, having a global impact, can Mm -hmm. you speak to the general public and what is something that people across the board can maybe do to easily reduce their carbon emissions and the effect of climate change?
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I I feel like this is this is a question that people really crave an answer to lots of people. Right. Not just people who would identify themselves as environmentalists Mm -hmm. or or everybody wants to know, well, okay, this problem feels really big and admittedly kind of hopeless. Yeah. What does it matter? What kind of car I drive or whether I eat a cheeseburger versus a veggie burger? Right. Mm And so I think that what I what I say to, to, to everyone for this would be our individual choices do matter for lots of reasons, including their climate impact. But I think it's also about living a more thoughtful and mindful existence of our, our general impact on the planet. So, for example, you know, um, we consume so much stuff mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm, I'm lumping myself into this category too, right? We, in thinking about the embodied carbon of all the stuff we accumulate, <laughs> right? Yes. And so I have really tried to just be, and I think as I'm getting older, I have like anxiety about my house being cluttered. So <laughs> I feel like that also helps me do a better job with this. I try to just be very mindful about what I buy mm-hmm. and, and where I buy it. So, for example, I think that, you know, when I became a parent, this really came into clear focus to me for me because babies require a lot of infrastructure mm-hmm. and they only use a lot of it for a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. So after my daughter was born, I felt like I really got into to thrifting and secondhand shopping and stuff like that, which not only saves money, but feels a lot less terrible for the planet. Mm-hmm. And I felt an ethical imperative to do that. And so I think that's something, you know, I, I feel like we get we get tripped up on this one a lot because we think, well, I'm not going to give up meat. So I can't, I can't do anything mm-hmm. valuable. So I don't think it's about compromising entirely. It's just about making different choices. But ultimately, what it comes down to is the biggest thing you can do as an individual to make an impact on the climate, there are two things. Mm-hmm. The first is to talk about climate change with other people, particularly with people whom you think you might have a difference of opinion. Figure out how to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, figure out figure out what you both care about. The good news and the bad news about climate change is that it touches everything. Mm-hmm. And so you might be able to find common ground with someone to have a conversation about this without even really mentioning climate change. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be talking about extreme weather or flooding mm-hmm. or, you know, drought or something like that. And and you'll realize that it, it touches us all and we all need to care about it. And if you can, if you can have these difficult conversations without all of the sort of political garbage weighing it down Mm -hmm. that makes a difference and then the other the other most impactful thing individuals can do is vote Mm -hmm. up and down the ticket vote for people whose values related to climate change align with your own Mm -hmm. you know I can tell you that one of the biggest sort of themes of climate action has been that at the bigger scales we have really failed to get a lot done Mm -hmm. and that Resulted in like a groundswell of local action in the past mm-hmm. two or three decades, and and it makes a dent. It 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 won't solve the problem entirely. We will need, you know, top down approaches for sure. But but local elections have consequences. You know, the the township where I live. I live in Ferguson Township, um, just west of State College, and. I chair like a volunteer climate action committee. Our board of supervisors a couple of years ago passed a resolution to be net zero by 2050. So local local action can matter. And ultimately, when we think about facing the impacts of climate change, we face those locally. Those are the problems of our locally elected officials. So they're very keen on understanding how we can adapt to climate change and build more resilient, healthy communities that are going to be able to to withstand the impacts that we will experience.
0: Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you so much for your insight and your expertise. I really appreciate your time and um, I've learned so much from you. (laughs) So thank you (laughs) so much.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. It was my pleasure.
0: Yeah. And to our listeners, uh, please feel free to reach out. If you're interested in hearing more, I can always put you in touch with Brandy. And um, thank you all so much.